Welcome to the Ether. Today is Tuesday, December 20th, 2022. Today on the Ether, Angel Protocol, Longevity and Healthy Aging with special guests. Let's take a listen. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, we have an exciting spaces ready for today. Um, so you may have seen the announcements earlier today, uh, but we have launched a longevity fundraiser for uh, for year end. Um, and this is in partnership with uh, Angel Protocol, of course, uh, but also three amazing organizations uh, driving very, very important work um, in the longevity research space. Uh, so we're, we're honored to welcome Lifespan.io, uh, uh, the SENS Research Foundation, and the Methuselah Foundation. Um, so we're going to hear a lot more from those organizations very soon here. I uh, just want to lay the scene a bit for everyone. Um, this fundraising campaign uh, really came together through a lot of collaboration between all the orgs involved. Uh, we very much believe in, in the mantra that a rising tide lifts all ships. Uh, and with that in mind, um, we've set up a fundraiser that benefits not just one organization, uh, but three of the leading organizations um, in the longevity research space. So when you hear about longevity, I mean, a lot of people tend to have some, some misconceptions about what it is or what it isn't. Uh, we're going to let our guests speak to that today. Uh, but really, it's about living healthier, longer lives for everyone around the world. Um, and a lot of this is about uh, combating aging-related diseases, such as uh, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, uh, and a lot of things that people on this call probably have either first or secondhand experience with. Um, so uh, for this campaign, uh, we will be able to do $10,000 in matching through the Angel Alliance. Uh, so your donation uh, is effectively doubled. Um, the portal is live at longevity.angelprotocol.io. Uh, it is multi-chain. You can connect with wallets from Ethereum, Binance, uh, various Cosmos chains. Um, so please uh, go donate. Uh, you'll get an immediate tax receipt. Um, if you're lucky enough to have any capital gains, uh, they are um, uh, no ca capital gains do not apply to the donation. So you kind of get a two for one there from a financial perspective. Uh, but really, you know, it's about doing the right thing and supporting a cause that that affects literally everyone on this planet. Uh, and if you can if you can help um, move that timetable forward just a little bit, I mean, every second someone dies of an age related disease. Um, so your contributions, uh, if it advances that by even one second, uh, can save someone's life. Um, so that's a little bit of the table setting. I'll have a little bit more to speak to uh, throughout our Twitter space here. Uh, but really, I want to let our guests do a lot of the talking here as the experts in the field. So um, with that, uh, I do actually just want to say one more thing. Uh, one of the special things with this fundraiser in particular is that um, when you're donating to these organizations, uh, you're actually donating into their endowment accounts. 
Uh, and so for those not familiar with an endowment account, it's effectively a savings and investment vehicle for nonprofits to give them financial sustainability. Um, so when you donate, you're not just donating once, but really um, when you give once, you give forever. Uh, that gift will keep on giving, continue to generate yield, continue to fund this important longevity research uh, in perpetuity. So with that in mind, um, I'm going to turn over to our guests here. Uh, and I'm just going to ask to kick off, um, why, why are you passionate about longevity research? Why should the people tuning in today be passionate about longevity research? Uh, and I'll, uh, I'll start with, um, with Keith from Lifespan here. Great. Thank you for that wonderful intro, Chauncey. And, and again, a big thanks to the Angel Protocol for, for setting this up for uh, what I obviously believe to be the most important cause in the world. And the reason for that is simply that age-related decline is the largest driver of suffering in the world, not just regarding chronic diseases that were mentioned, Alzheimer's, heart disease, and cancer, but also in susceptibility to infectious diseases like COVID-19 as well. And if we want to solve all of these problems, there is no better approach than addressing them right at their source, addressing the aging process itself. So if we're talking, you know, if we want to do real uh, effective altruism, you know, not uh, what some might be doing in the field right now, but um, the, the real effective altruism is doing this, is systemically addressing root causes of systemic societal issues. And that's kind of the logical appeal, but just on the emotional side as well, um, you know, Ever since the first great work ever written by humanity, the Epic of Gilgamesh, humanity has dreamed of the increased happiness and fulfillment that would come from conquering these diseases. And now, thanks to the great works of organizations such as those on this panel, we have a chance to do that. And for the sake of every person on the planet, we must act on this chance as fast as we can. And just to, to round it out with just a personal appeal, you know, I'm sure like many of the listeners here, I, you know, had to deal with um the misfortune of uh, Alzheimer's in my family. And uh, my mother and I were the primary caregiver of my grandmother who had protracted Alzheimer's of the worst kind for seven years. And I think anyone who witnesses that, uh, it'll become very clear that regardless of what you might think of the you know, ideas of immortality or things like that, the idea of extending healthy human lifespan and obliterating these diseases of aging is of paramount importance to humanity. So that is my reason, <laughs> and hopefully will uh, resonate with everyone on this call. And with that, I'd like to pass it over to uh, Maria from the SENS Research Foundation. Thank you, Keith. And thank you, Angel Protocol, for having us as one of your charities that will be benefited of your wonderful work and of all the supporters that joined your, your platform. Uh, thank you also, Lifespan IO, for spearheading this for us and for Metusla Foundation. I, um, yes, I want to echo what um, Keith is saying. Um, in my case, personally, I always felt very interested in understanding why um, aging uh, was, not why I would say, but how to do something about the, the fact that when we age, we get sick. And I realized that people were not associating aging with disease, but I couldn't help but doing that all the time and understanding that as time went by, people would just suffer and lose themselves. So I um, realized that some people were working on this and that's how I got interested a long time ago. But I think the main thing um, um, 
of the longevity research purpose is that we are changing the way that we're treating age-related disease. We've always treated it as this normal path that we have to go through. And we've been slowing down these diseases, but never curing them as we have cured infectious diseases, but we never took a, you know, the deterioration of aging and the diseases that aging brings as a medical problem. And that's what longevity research is doing, really, is the concept of extending, um, you know, our, our health and not just life expectancy, but in, in ill health, which is what we're doing now, but to actually, uh, you know, add more healthy years to our life. And I think that's something that everyone on this planet wants to see uh, happen. I could keep adding more things, but I think that's the main thing. And we at Sense, what we do is we work on research, working on the molecular and cellular damage of aging. Is regenerative medicine applied to aging? We also work on education and on outreach. Um, I'm not sure you, Angel Protocol wants to take it back and um, give the microphone to Methuselah. I could just keep talking and talking, but um, that's basically my own interest was about health with aging. And that's what we're working on at, at Sense to change the way we age today. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, Maria. Uh, and yes, I think, uh, I think we can go ahead and pass to the Methuselah Foundation next. Hey, everyone. Dane here. Uh, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much, uh, the Angel Protocol um for for kicking this off and thank you so much to keith for inviting us uh to this party and and maria it's always it's always a pleasure um so just for myself um there's really there's a few a few things um that in particular of uh that are very important to me when um when dave and myself and aubrey de gray started methuselah 20 something years ago for me the the probably the most impactful thing uh was was that um you know, I was 15 years old, so I really had very little, you know, personal concern about aging. You know, I was, you know, barely out of puberty at that point. You know, I had an I had an email account, you know, and uh, and a lot of homework, and that's pretty much all I was worrying about. Um, but I knew some folks who uh, were were aging. They were going through really, really, just honestly, a horrific. Um, a horrific daily experience and it it just it shocked me so much um to see that and to uh to spend time with people who were going through that it just it i don't know it was just it was an absolute smack in the face to see what they were going through what their families were going through and it just seemed like such a cosmic uh tragedy to have that be the reward that is given to people after a lifetime of trying their best that just is, it was the most insane thing in the world to me. And then, you know, acclimating myself to, to the understanding that that is often how things go uh, for just about everybody, depending on how good or bad it, it ends for you. But to see that gradual process happening and having and seeing that process start actually fairly early, you know, in the middle of your life and perhaps a subtle degree, it's just honestly, it was like terrifying and incredibly sad. And then seeing how um, the medical community or the research community was not able to really address those uh, that that process from first principles made me feel like, hey, uh, there's a, there's another way. Well, maybe we really need to think about this aging thing as a disease itself, and that will be the thing that will enable us to you know make progress in figuring out how to deal with uh, 
the downstream effects, which have a really just an, an enormous, profound impact on on everybody, even if you don't think about it. Um, so, so yeah, the the reduction of suffering was probably the biggest thing to to echo Keith. Um, and then the the other piece of it is really just the the optionality, right? It's the it's the more time component. It's the uh, the recognition that um, society, um, you know, experiences gradual cognitive decline and and reduction of options for like the last at least 30% of of life. And I wanted to know what society could look like if there wasn't so much scarcity cooked in at such a fundamental level. I wanted to be able to see a world where, you know, people could live a really, really long time if they if they chose to, but more importantly, that their uh, their knowledge and their wisdom wouldn't wouldn't be lost at such uh, an early age and their uh, the efficacy of them as individuals wouldn't be lost at such an early age. So it was really like, yeah, it's a reduction of suffering on an individual level, but also kind of like a, a hope of being able to see what, uh, you know, how society could improve if, if it wasn't coming from such a scarce, uh, scarcity mindset. So, um, yeah, so, so that's me. Sorry for talking so long. No, man, that was, that was beautiful. Um, and you're speaking my language with the scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. Um, you know, that, that's what we're all about uh, with Angel Protocol and really trying to tap into all the good that this technology and space can offer and empower organizations like yourselves. Um, and uh, frankly, Dane, you know, that was such kind of a, a mic drop moment. I think we got to keep the mic with you for a minute here. Um, could you share a little bit more about what your organization does specifically and what you plan to do with any funding received? Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I could tell you a little bit about what we do broadly, and then I'll, I'll kick it over to Flo, who can talk about some of the specifics of the uh, one of the programs that we're doing. But uh, what we typically do, we, we give grants um, and we help start um, companies. Um, we really are all about trying to uh, uh, foster innovation and um, uplift the community as a whole as much as we can. So, you know, for that, it's really just keeping our ear to the ground and and making sure that we're able to see as much as we possibly can, so that we can so that we can spot opportunities where we're able to, you know, assist uh, companies and and researchers um, get the work done that they need to help create connections for them. Um, it, you know, just general advice. We just have been around for a while, and so we have a you know a relatively decent intuition about the sort of things that might be needed or what might be really really impactful for the industry in general. Um, and so we have a few uh, a few programs that uh, that we're doing right now, which I think kind of stick out aside from the stuff that we normally do, the incubation and that sort of thing. Um, we do some innovation challenges. Uh, we work with NASA on on uh, some innovation challenges in the life science area, which is one of the things that I'm I'm primarily focused on. So we uh, we got started doing that uh, with uh, a tissue engineering challenge that we did with them, which was about microvasculature. So we were at the time, and we still are, but at the time we were very, very keen on working on uh, whole organ engineering. And we discovered one of the key rate limiters, or really the key rate limiter, um, was microvasculature. And you couldn't really scale up an organ unless you had that in place. And so um, through um, you know some some sweat and uh, and a lot of luck, we managed to get connected with NASA and, and uh, convince them to work on a, a little challenge with us, which was, you know, made a lot of progress. It was really, really good, I think, for the field. Um, Wake Forest Institute ended up winning that a couple of years ago and we're going to be sending some results uh, or sending some experiments up to the ISS. And I think we got some, some Dojalon folks here too. And a, a lot of that is because of the, uh, the, uh, the, the confidence that those folks had in us in, in supporting the, those missions. So um, 
you know, I don't know if it's the first, but it's definitely one of the first uh, experiments that's actually going to the ISS because uh, largely because of the crypto community, which is really, really cool to me. Um, so we do that. And then right now I'm also working on the Deep Space Food Challenge with NASA, which is really like about trying to um, lay the groundwork for decentralized uh, biological production in general. It's obviously focused on food at first for for long duration missions, you know, going to, the, going to Mars and that sort of thing. Um, but it's also the sort of stuff that you need in order to produce, uh, to produce medicine at a distance and develop medicine at a distance. You know, so that's that's everything from, you know, the the most ultra scarce and most dangerous environment ever, you know, space, um, but also for remote communities. And in time, uh, when it becomes more economically feasible, I think it will end up you know, shifting the paradigm uh, quite a bit and it will you know, potentially become more or less the standard for for communities in general for, you know, hopefully. Um, more in situ resource utilization and more distributed production of stuff. So, so that's some of the stuff that I'm working on. And then I don't know, Flo, if you want to jump in and talk about um, the uh, the organ on a chip patient trials initiative. Yeah, sounds good. So, um, shout out to all Dojalon and crypto folks um, in this space. Very happy to have you, and thanks everyone for making the time. Um, and especially to um, our partners here who have facilitated this. Um, this is fantastic and love these kinds of collaborations. Um, so for Methuselah Foundation, what we would do specifically with donations through this campaign is actually have it go towards um, a, a fantastic program of ours that is set to uh, change precision medicine, actually make it true precision medicine um, for folks and improve access as well. Um, and that program is called Animal Free Precision Medicine. We're actually launching an, an open innovation prize and challenge around this concept. Um, and we are right now vetting partners uh, to join us for a $1 million prize pot to award winning teams that can help essentially move the paradigm away from the animal model for drug and therapies testing and development. Um, with age-related diseases in particular, the mouse model can be unreliable. And so if you can imagine a future where um, a patient's own stem cells could be printed with a, with a, bio, uh, with a 3D bioprinter, and the drug could be actually personalized for them, um, customized for them, um, and with reliable uh, results as well for how it would affect them as a patient. So this would essentially eradicate the need for um, needless suffering from both humans and animals. Um, and so, yes, it's been a, a fantastic ride so far. Um, and we're hoping to gain more public and uh, government support for this um, because there are better models out there um, that can help drive better patient outcomes. And that's what we're passionate about at Methuselah Foundation. Beautiful, beautiful. Very well said on both on both fronts. So thank you very much, Flo and Dane. Um, and you know, same question over over to you, Sans. Hi, sorry, <clears throat> a little bit of a of a problem with the microphone here. Yes. Um, okay. So I, I, one thing that I want to mention here is it's before I I talk about the work that we're doing at Sans right now, or our Sans Research Foundation, as we call it, since Sans is our our uh, scientific approach, what we call our organization, um, SRF, or Sense Research Foundation, um, is that one of the many, many reasons why these, this alliance is so special to us is that we've been working together with Methuselah and with Lifestyle.io for many, many years. 
and we have we have a beautiful history. Um, we I think we could say the sense started with Metustela Foundation when founded by Dave Gold and Dr. Aubrey Gray, who is our co-founder and the creator of our sense approach. Um, I, I was a volunteer coordinator back then, and uh, Sense Research Foundation was funded founded as a separate entity in 2009, and we've been since then organ- sister organizations. And that's why it's uh, really special that we are doing something else, something new together right now. Um, also, Lifespan.io, where Keith presented, Keith Comito presented Lifespan.io for the first time during our bio, uh, rejuvenation biotechnology, I think it was called, our conference in 2014 in Santa Clara. And the first crowdfunding campaign done by Lifespan was um, for us, and it was the uh, one uh, campaign for our Mitosense, one of our seven types of damage programs. And the money that was raised was 153% uh, of the original goal of, of uh, 45,000. So it was almost 47,000. And anyway, I just wanted to mention briefly why uh, also this is very special that we have a history together, all of us working together since the very beginning when you wouldn't find a lot of organizations talking about the subject of longevity and the subject of changing the way we age or curing aging, all the many, many ways that this has been referred to. But uh, in terms of, um, I think your question was about our work, correct? Um, so we at SENSE, as I said before, we have three departments. We do research, education, and outreach. Our research department, of course, is um, is, is, is our, our main focus, I would say. Um, well, all of them, but research is, is very strong. We're, our research is stronger than ever right now. We had uh, huge support from the uh, crypto community, um, last year, you may have heard, we had a huge uh, donation of $27 plus million from the uh, HEX community. And we, that allowed us to expand our programs, to expand our, our lab spaces. Um, we grew significantly in terms of how many of us are there now. We're 30 plus people full-time working. And this is definitely showing in in the speed of our research, at which we're moving right now. So for those of you who are present here, who have never heard of the organization and what our work is about, we are working on aging with a special approach that was, as I mentioned before, designed by Dr. Aubrey de Grey called SENSE, which means strategies engineered for negligible senescence. And this approach is based on what we call a damage repair approach, which is let's repair the damage of aging caused by the metabolism before it becomes pathological. So the way that this approach was designed, um, it's, it's focused on seven types of damage that happen in our bodies at a cellular level. And they are things like you know, um, death-resistant cells, you know, cells that should die and they don't die, cells that die too early, garbage that accumulates in, in our cells or outside our cells and in mutations in the in the nucleus, um, mito- mitochondria mutation, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to get too, too heady here, and I can't anyway because I'm not a scientist, but um, all of these processes that happen in our bodies are associated to the whole of aging, basically. So if we can tackle all of this together, we will be able to repair uh, the damage. And that will mean reversing 
this damage, which will mean reversing the diseases and reversing the aging itself. So rejuvenating a science fiction as it sounds, it is not. So we are working on preventing, reversing, and eradicating what happens as we age. And um, so that's um, the main goal and the, you know, the broad look at it. Then we have intramural research and extramural research. Um, you can, on our website, we have tons of information for you ch to check out. And we are doing a, a, our main campaign right now. We're focusing on one of the, each of the types of damage that are associated to specific diseases every week. And we're launching that. And um, so our research is based on that approach. And we also fund outside research outside of our own research center in Mountain View. And we also have a beautiful education program through which we are educating the scientists of the future. Um, yeah, so that's kind of an overall of, of what we do. And we always tell people that, you know, we're working on health. We're working on changing the way that age-related disease is treated. We don't want to ameliorate symptoms here. We want to solve the problem that is killing each of us, no matter how good of a lifetime we follow, no matter how well we behave with our diets and how much we exercise, we are all going to suffer from these diseases, from one of them or many of them. And if we live long enough, we're going to get them all and they will they are terminal diseases. So we are all basically terminally ill. And that's what we are working to change, that one day we can age without getting sick. And I'm happy to pass the microphone to someone else because as I said, I can just talk forever. If, uh, if I yeah, please, Fla. Sorry, Tansi. Yes, if I can also jump on what Maria just shared. Um, it's also about the wisdom that we gain as we grow older. And unfortunately, right now, as we grow older, uh, in people's minds, it, everyone thinks that suffering is inevitable. But imagine where suffering and aging don't have to coexist. You can age and grow in wisdom and continue to have the energy to do good, make an impact on society, make a positive impact on society. Um, and so that's what we're hoping to see here. I think everyone is on the same page about that. What you're saying, Flo, is very important because one of the things we have to deal with all the time is uh, all these misconceptions that scare people. And a lot of people don't support our cause because they are confused about what we're doing. We're not extending ill ill health life. We're, we're, we're creating more health, more years with more health. And that's what people need to understand. And if you stay healthy and strong and, and vigorous, you are not going to feel bad about that obviously because that's what we all want we all want to be healthy and that's already something that most of society i guess accepts so this is no different than that love it very very well stated thank you maria and thank you flo um keith would you like to speak to uh to lifespan sure absolutely and uh maria actually teed me up nicely with what she had mentioned on the on the backstory there so <laughs> as as alluded to when Lifespan.io first formed in 2014, at that time where, where the rest of sort of the, the quote unquote mainstream like medical establishment has, hadn't really adopted this approach of addressing aging itself as a targetable indication, there were organizations like SENS Research Foundation and Methuselah Foundation that were kind of blazing the trail here. So what we saw as a, 
a gap essentially that we could fill at Lifespan.io is specifically in informing and engaging and exciting the public that this emerging research was both feasible and desirable for a lot of reasons, not just the the personal effects of you know making yourself healthier and your family members not being destroyed by horrific diseases, but also socioeconomic benefits, uh, how it touches many other issues that people might care about. As an example, you know you might not off the top of your head think that aging is related to things like climate change or Medicare for all or gender issues, et cetera. But as one example, um, you know uh, the burdens of an aging society are disproportionately borne by women and minorities. And this is something actually Martin Luther King was talking about back in his Poor People's Campaign. So there's this great commonality here. There's this ability that we have to show everybody that this thing that you don't think about, you know, because it's easy to go, I'm not going to worry about aging. I'm not going to worry about cancer. It's relevant to you and everything that you care about right now. So that's basically what we launched with in 2014. How do we message the public? How do we get everybody on board for this? And there's actually a really great reference here. If, if uh, anybody uh, listening in wants to do a little uh, <laughs> homework, there was a great book called The Emperor of All Maladies by Siddhartha Mukherjee, I believe a New York Times bestseller, that basically told the story how just a few cancer research advocates in the 40s, 50s, and 60s basically transformed cancer from a pariah disease that nobody talked about all the way to 1971, where the birth of the war on cancer occurred. And like, what did they do? They essentially did a three-step process, which was find the most credible research at the time and rally around it by doing essentially crowdfunding. Back then it was telethons, et cetera. Um, using that to build a grassroots movement that then would build up enough power to, you know, spawn the endeavors that could lean on politicians and say, hey, society, we need to care about this. And that that led into the 1971 Cancer Act. So to pivot that to what we're doing and what funds that we'll hopefully raise here from this initiative will go to is initiatives that Lifespan.io is doing in these kind of lanes. So one of the things that Maria mentioned earlier was crowdfunding. And in the past, we had historically crowdfunded, you know, critically important aging focused research projects using, you know, Kickstarter-like models, but now we're adapting to leverage the new tools of uh, decentralized science and DeFi uh, to fund these projects more successfully. Uh, another thing that we're passionate about, again, is in informing and engaging the public. We, we run one of the largest and uh, most objective news outlets dedicated to aging research with a lot of traffic. And most notably, perhaps, that the, the audience might be familiar with is we've also partnered with uh, YouTube celebrities to make excellent content that's reached tens of millions of people. Notably, in 2017, <laughs> we did a collaboration with the YouTube channel Kors Gazakt, which has like really amazing uh, science animations. So we did a two-parter called End Aging and Cure Aging that I believe on the days of their release were the most trending videos on all of the internet. Uh, and importantly, aside from just the views, the like ratio was 99.9% .9 yes. So it really showed the field that if we present this in a logical, sane way that makes the value proposition that this is important, this is gonna help extend your healthy lifespan, not protract your period of ill health, people will be on board with it. And kind of building off of that most recently, we uh, recently brought into our family the, the Life Noggin YouTube channel, which has over 3 million subscribers. And we're, instead of just trying to work with uh, content creators, we're trying to, you know, be the celebrities ourselves and, and spiral that up and try to work on, you know, eventually making, you know, a show on Netflix or, or something like that. So there's these wide reaching PR initiatives, I guess you could say. 
And one of the reasons why we're doing that is because these endeavors can have a massive force multiplying effect, not just in terms of dollars going to the Sense Research Foundation and the Methuselah Foundation for research, but also in bringing many people into the field. You know, every dollar could bring in hundreds of people into the field. Uh, we also, through the production of, of materials, are teeing up the birth of allied initiatives that can build off of what we're doing, very similar to what the cancer research advocates did. So as a notable example, there's the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives, which is a 501c4 organization that can lobby. We can't do that ourselves as 501c3s, but we can create the materials that would be useful to have them be able to talk to Congress and say, hey, listen, if we're able to remediate, if we're even able to slow down the effects of aging by 20% in these particular diseases, that will save $7.1 trillion over the next 10 years in healthcare spending. We need to do this, right? So that's how I think we can catalyze uh, a wide scale change. And the last point that uh, I'll make to kind of bring it uh, most relevant to our conversation here is one of the most exciting projects uh, or endeavors that I'm interested in right now is the union of DeFi and DeSci and how we can leverage the emerging technologies from crypto and biomarkers like Dane mentioned earlier to vastly accelerate the pace of not just aging research, but all research. One quick example that maybe we'll talk about later is at lifespan.io, one of our key uh, research projects that we're working on is essentially a, a truly first ever, truly decentralized clinical trial for non-drug interventions for Alzheimer's disease. So you can imagine that in addition to just the, the amazing good that would occur personally, if we could just remediate these diseases at all, if after 30 years and a trillion dollars of taxpayer spending resulting in almost no effect on Alzheimer's disease, if a decentralized group on the internet with non-drug interventions can put a dent in Alzheimer's at all, that would catalyze a complete change in the system and also show everybody that you don't have to sit on your hands and wait for other people to solve these problems. We can do it together and you'll have faith in those solutions because you'll know because you did it yourself. <laughs> and that's, uh, I guess that's, that sounded like a mic drop. So I guess I'll end there. <laughs> that, that was a mic drop if I've ever heard one. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and I do want to circle back on, on, where you were going there with some of the different uh, funding mechanisms that have emerged and uh, this power of, of crowdfunding and using blockchain technology. But, um, but before we get into that, uh, I mean, you've spoken a lot uh, collectively about all of the, the benefits and the necessity of uh, longevity research. Um, now, taking the counterpoint, um, what do you feel are some of the common misconceptions about longevity research or, or the things that uh, that people might doubt, um, like why this is an important cause. I guess I'll just uh, jump in and keep it going and then I'll pass it off. Um, so there's a good number of these that come up a lot. Uh, and there's sort of, I would say three kind of, you know, fan favorites, I guess you would say. And we talk about this on our, on our site, by the way, if anyone's curious, you can go to lifespan.io slash concerns. But the ones that I see most common are getting, uh, if we were to succeed in an initiative like this, that would mean that we persist in like an ill health state, you know, frailty. Like you think, if you ask somebody off the street, do you want to be 150 years old? Their initial reaction is like, oh God, no. Cause they're thinking like being hooked up to like all these machines, you know, kind of like a, <laughs> uh, 
Palpatine in, in, in the, <laughs> the latest Star Wars movie, right? Um, and people don't want that, right? So I think it's, it's key that we dispel that illusion by saying the only way that you're going to get uh, significant lifespan extension, if that's what you want, is through a significant health extension. And furthermore, that issue that you're worried about, <laughs> about protracting that Ill, here, uh, Ill health period is actually what the current system maximizes right now. So if you don't want that, we're actually on the same team. You just don't know it yet. So, you know, come, <laughs> come join the party. Um, and then that is embodied, I like to say, in the ancient Greek myth of Typhonus, where, you know, super quickly, the story is there's a goddess, Aos, who's in love with the mortal man. And she asks Zeus to make him immortal so she can love him forever. But because Zeus is, you know, kind of a cheeky bastard, um, he puts a little monkey's paw spin on that and doesn't make Tythonus stay young forever. So he just keeps getting older and older and older and keeps shriveling up into the size of a pea. Uh, and that's, in my opinion, kind of embodies this, this fear. And it's, it's not true if, uh, if we actually succeed on what we're all trying to do here. So that's the number one important one. Other ones are like overpopulation and boredom, but I want to take up all the air. So maybe that's a good uh, segue uh, into one of the others who want to maybe pick up one of those balls. Um, yes, I think um, <clears throat> we talk a, a little bit about this. All these years working on working in the field and working working on outreach. I think, uh, uh, yeah, one of one of the things I I didn't expect to. When I started working on on this field and in the concept of of uh, you know changing the way we age, the last thing I expected was to hear any pushback from people because to me it was always such an obvious thing that there's nothing better we can do than 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 changing the way we age. But one of the things that I hear a lot um, is, for example, nature, right? Like playing with nature. Oh, this is this is a natural thing and we shouldn't change it because it's natural. And so I'm tired of having this conversation of explaining to people that um, there are so, so many things that are natural that are really bad for us that we are constantly fighting against and that we're, we're happy to do that. And there are so many unnatural things that we adopted in our lives that we wouldn't be able to live without them. Right. So no one is going to complain about, you know, cochlear implant or, or, you know, a pacemaker. And I mean, the list really is endless of the things that we do that that you can absolutely call unnatural. And there's so many things that are natural, like, for example, the COVID virus, right? And, and, and you know, any type of, of, of um, natural disaster that happens and kills massively people. And, and that's, that's a natural thing that we don't take easily as, oh, great, we will... We don't. We we're not uh, sad about what happens. It's natural, so it's it's it has to happen. So one of the things I I hear a lot is that like you know natural is good and natural is bad, and it's and it's really uh, not how humans actually live. They just they repeat that and they repeat a lot of these things, but it's not it's not what we how we think. And the um, I think that's the the main misconception to me is um, well there's there's also a lot of um, concern. Some religious people are concerned also about this. And even though um, I think Aubrey used to say that, you know, God never said to anybody, it's, it's not written in the Bible or anywhere that you have to, to have a short life that you couldn't live for a long time. In, in fact, 
Methusela, I mean, I guess Methusela Foundation people can talk more about the name of the organization, where that comes from. But, um, but I think, yeah, one of the, um, of the, the main most concerning misconceptions for most people is that, that what uh, we were talking about before, which is, I don't want to live a long life feeling sick and, and in pain. And especially when you talk to older people and you say, Hey, you know, we're working on aging, we're going to extend lifespan. And they say, Oh no, no, I don't want to live longer. And that's because they are feeling in a lot of pain, but um, they don't understand that what we're trying to do here is just cause healthier, longer lives. Um, and there's, yeah, the overpopulation is, is a difficult one. Um, there's a lot of information that you can look at in terms of, you know, also population collapse. There's a lot of controversy around this. Um, I think from all the data that I've been looking at in all these years, I can say that what contributes more to overpopulation has to do with birth rates and not with, you know, if people die later in life. Um, but anyway, that it's, it is a controversial um aspect and maybe someone else has better information than me i think that beyond any misconceptions we cannot stop doing what we're doing it's just like saying okay you have cancer you have or you have a terminal disease and because there are so many people in the planet you're not going to go and do that treatment and you're going to let yourself die um resources are not enough are scarce so yeah why don't you just die of the disease that you have right now and I know it sounds a little rough to say that, but it really is the same thing because aging, we could say that is a disease or at least the cause of the diseases. And if we are sick of something like aging, which is a terminal disease, and we realize through science and medicine that we can do something about it, it is the same thing as saying, I'm not going to do that treatment that is there for me to cure any of the other diseases that we we, we cure every day or we at least slow down or we do whatever we can to to get better from a disease so that is uh, it's probably the the worst of all the misconceptions that concern me the most and and i think it's easily it can be easily addressed by saying um things in the line of what i'm saying right now that aging is causing disease and it's it should be seen in the same way if we decide to treat it or not just as any other diseases I can just jump in to provide a little bit of data on that one point uh, and then kick it to Methuselah um, on the overpopulation issue. Uh, if you look at the data, it's actually the case that um, life expectancy is inversely correlated to population growth. Again, maybe causality, causation, et cetera, et cetera. But it's certainly not the case that uh, increased life expectancy drives uh, overpopulation. I think that's because what Maria said is that the birth rates matter more. And also what I think the real answer is there that when people have expanded health span, which includes expanded fertility, um, uh, parents decide to delay uh, the birth of, the, of their children because the biological clock is not as hard on them. So I think that's that's the reason there. So that one I think is just dispellable by data. <laughs> Thank you, Keith. I was kind of spinning there. Uh, thanks for clarifying. And maybe Methuselah has some more insight. Yeah, I mean, I could just say something really quick. I mean, for, you know, I can only speak for myself, but uh, I think, you know, like you guys said, um, it's medicine, right? It's not really any different than than other innovations that have happened in the past that dramatically extended people's lives. 
we used to on average like live a lot less uh and so this has already happened before and the onus is on us as a society to figure out how to adapt to it good news i mean there's kind of two sides but the good news is that uh, you don't like live a radically long time overnight it takes time to get there and so you have time as a society to adapt um the other side of it is um the industry uh, and community is now mature enough where you have actual therapies that are going to likely be coming to market, um, you know, in the next few years. So this stuff is actually, I mean, it's actually literally happening. This is this is definitely anything but a pipe dream. Um, in some ways, it's almost it, it almost becomes, um, you know, at a certain point, it'll be passe. It will just be a certain class of drugs, but it will be kind of, you know, kind of thrown in with with the rest in a lot of ways. Um, so I think I, I think that um, at least for myself, it's something that I have I have trust in us to to figure out how to deal with it be, if it becomes like an actual issue. Um, but human humanity is pretty good at figuring out ways to uh, to to spread out and and take advantage of of new areas or new opportunities when they present themselves, and also figure out how to to deal with uh, with with scarcity when it when it does appear. And I think that. With with the therapies that are going to make you live longer and hopefully more intelligently and more conscientiously, that we hopefully as a society get better at doing that as well. I have to say that the main misconception that I come across is that this is just about length of time that we spend on Earth versus um, quality of life. This is definitely about improving quality of life for everyone um, and uh, and improving health, stretching out your health span. Um, that changes everything. If um, I had two grandmothers who were trailblazers and they both died, one died in her 60s and the other one died in her 80s. But if they had the energy of a 50-year-old or a 40-year-old, say, um, they would have accomplished so much more and would have made such, uh, such an impact with their great-grandchildren as well as their grandchildren and children. That's the kind of society that I'd love to live in where I'm learning from my grandmother up until I become a grandmother myself. That would be fantastic. And it would be so good for society. I just want to quickly build off that excellent point uh, by Florina in that um, this is why I think even if for some reason out there, someone who's listening is not, you know, technically interested in life extension, uh, this is why it should matter to you. Because as Dane also alluded to earlier, you know, every person on the planet is going to be experiencing cognitive decline on their inevitable march to usually a painful demise. So no matter what you care about, any field, anything, how much faster would that field accelerate if every human being on the planet had 20 more high cognitive functioning years to solve whatever that problem is you care about? <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the thing that I think ties uh, everything together here. And then one last uh, misconception uh, that I'd like to just bring up and then tie it to something hopefully inspirational is, you know, one concern that people have is, oh, you know, am I going to be bored, <laughs> right? You know, if I, if I live 300 years, I'm going to be bored. If I live 150 years, am I going to be bored? Uh, but, you know, if you look at cognitive studies or psychology studies, things like the hedonic treadmill and things like that, long story short is if you want to know how bored you're going to be in 30 years, it's roughly how bored you are now. And it's directly mapped to how boring you are. <laughs> so if you don't want to be bored, get interested in things and do things and you won't be bored. And there'll always be more things for you to learn. And one last point on uh, what Florino was saying, maybe I'm a little Pollyannish and pie in the sky here, but I really do believe 
that if people start to live significantly longer and furthermore, just the idea that that an inevitable despairing end is maybe off the table, I think that will hopefully promote wisdom and kindness and gentleness in the world. Because if you think back to the olden days, you know, spiritual people would work on building a church that would take 300 years to build, even though they know they're never going to see the results of that because they believe in something. They believe that they're part of a long-term vision for humanity, right? So I think in a sense that spiritual wonder and connectivity and wisdom might be restorable to us if we feel like we might be shepherds of the earth for longer ourselves and see our grandchildren and see our great-grandchildren. So again, maybe I'm being optimistic, but I'm, I'm really hopeful that we will become a more moral and wise species if we can live a little bit longer and healthier. Hey, and just uh, one thing to really quickly add. So Aubrey just sent me, hey, Aubrey, he's down there. He's got a beard if you haven't met him before. Uh, he sent me a message just a second ago to uh, to just call out the uh, impact of uh, climate change. We uh, The world, in the as it currently sits, is radically different than how it could be. When you start thinking about scarcity and the uh, the situation that that currently exists, so that's not just the Earth itself, but it also depends on what we end up doing. If we end up spreading out through the cosmos, it's always possible. We don't know what will happen, um, but there is there is always extra space if you can figure out how to manage your resources properly. Love this! Wow, um, this is an excellent discussion. Uh, really, really appreciate all those answers. Um, so, just quickly, want to remind everyone. Uh, why why we're here uh, beyond the excellent conversation beyond raising awareness of longevity research and its importance uh, we do have a ongoing campaign running um, you can go to lo uh, longevity.angelprotocol.io uh, there's also a linked tweet here with more information there uh, but you can go to that site um, you can connect you know from ethereum from binance from various cosmos chains uh, donate get an immediate tax receipt for your donation um, that'll be split across uh, all of the amazing orgs speaking on um, this Twitter spaces with us. Uh, and it will also be um, half of it will be available immediately to them to spend on on um, research funding. Uh, but the other half will also be invested into their endowment accounts, which will provide ongoing sustainable funding for them over time. Um, and it's just one of the many marvels of what you can do with with web three technology. Uh, the transparency, um, the speed uh, of the actual fund transfer, um, being able to see it all happen uh, on chain, and then leveraging the different tools that we've built out with various DeFi yields and, and real world assets to actually uh, grow those funds sustainably and, and provide in an ongoing fashion. So thank you everyone very, very much for your support. Please uh, go donate, share the campaign, uh, we have different types of collateral to share. If you want to add uh, a Twitter banner, um, you know, uh, add any links to your website for the fundraiser. Uh, so I'll go ahead and pin that tweet up here um, after this. But um, I want to keep this uh, excellent discussion going. Uh, and, um, you know, Keith, I'm going to double back here to something you were saying at the beginning um, about all of the different funding mechanisms that this allows, because I really think it speaks to the the campaign that we're fundraising for now. Um, so, yeah, I know you work with a lot of excellent uh, organizations in the space, um, including VitaDAO. Uh, where do you see the the future tech vision of longevity funding going? Sure. Yeah. Happy to speak about this. So. As mentioned earlier, um, I'm really optimistic that 
techniques from you know decentralized finance when applied in the right combination could really just create uh, an entirely new mode of philanthropy that could just be much more effective so and as you mentioned there there's there's a lot of uh, good great organizations uh, of course uh, angel protocol uh, endowment vita dao um, Gitcoin, et cetera, that are working on these interesting uh, models. You know, Gitcoin, for example, uses quadratic funding, which is a, a different thing. You know, endowment and angel protocol are working on these uh, endowment methods that we've talked about here. Um, Dow doing trailblazing things with IP NFTs that might be able to participate in this as well. But the major point that I want to say, and I've been working on this uh, directly, as, as some of you on this call know that uh, I have experience in the, in the tech field and have worked with a lot of pioneers to uh, build related technologies, both blockchain related and you know biomarker related. And what I see from my vantage point is that all of us have these key pieces of the puzzle that we're building. And if we can daisy chain them together in a in the correct way, if we have an amazingly exciting NFT project that drives funding in a social proof kind of way into uh, this angel protocol fund that then one of the output funding points might eventually be a matching pool for the quadratic funding round of Gitcoin, et cetera, et cetera. We can really create these amazing, the 100x force multiplying effects that not just bring in tons of money and show everyone where that money is going and what the effect of that is, but also that pulls in tens of millions of people. And as mentioned earlier, where people understand what's going on and excited, and they don't have to worry about who to trust because they're literally you know, you don't have to worry about a trickle down effect if you're coming from the bottom up, right? So that's the world that I see is that there's a world where we can all through decentralized science and uh, DeFi together fund and collectively build and benefit from uh, these kind of research projects. And one final note and optim optimism there is, you know, if you just do anything in the entertainment world, if you game, if you watch streaming platforms, if you do anything, you probably are seeing the emergence of all these wonderful technologies, these metaversal technologies, and all these technologies are applicable uh, <laughs> to healthcare. So one project that I'm working on personally and, and with uh, team members at Lifespan and a lot of other blockchain organizations is, you know, how can we leverage taking some of the effects of, say, play to earn gaming and those kind of models and building like really exciting, engaging, gamified models that excite people? but drive them into also supporting something with real utility, which would not only be amazing for the world, but also really create a, an amazing value proposition for the blockchain industry. If, if you're on CNN, Chauncey, <laughs> and someone's asking you, oh, you know, these JPEGs, you know, are they really going to do anything for the world? And you're able to just look at that person in the face and say, we just raised a uh, billion dollars for cancer research. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing I don't mean that in a mean-spirited way, but it's amazing comeback and it's an amazing vision for what we all can do. So I'm sure I'm rambling a little bit, but let me just cap it off by saying what we're doing here today with Angel Protocol, with Methuselah Foundation, with Sens Research Foundation, this, in my mind, is just the beginning of something that can become even more wonderful and even more amazing. So join us on this journey together, everyone. You know, go to um, the page on Angel Protocol. Was it longevity.angelprotocol.io, I believe? Uh, and yes, contribute to these funding models that will, to Chauncey's point earlier, not just fund now, but fund forever. And if there ever was a, f a field or an industry where it's most right to build these perpetual long-term funding models, I would like to think it would be longevity research.
So please get involved. Hopefully I answered your question, Jones. Absolutely, absolutely. Does anyone else want to jump in on that one? Or uh, has this Keith uh, <laughs> captured it there? Keith said it so well that I don't want to say a word after. I just want to say, you know, we all have the power here. You know, use your voices, use your actions, use your behavior, use your power. And uh, thank you again, everyone, for joining us today and, you know, sharing and promoting the message here because the power lies in you. And I will hand it back off to the rest of the group. And if that wasn't clear, that was uh, Stephanie Daynow, our executive director at Lifespan.io, who's doing an amazing job. Yeah, no. So, so Keith, uh, you know, we we've talked uh, at length at this point about some of the opportunity here, but um, one thing I want to highlight too is just on the abundance mindset aspect. I mean, there's so much power in working together, and the really interesting thing about Web three technology to me is the coordination that it enables. Um, and what I mean here is, is like human coordination has been our greatest challenge throughout our history, right? Um, from from growing from coming up as as tribes and hunter gatherers to to forming civilizations, trying and failing at all types of different governments, um, it's always been you know at the root of of kind of human strife and friction. And the thing that I don't think a lot of people grasp, I mean you know present company and, and attendees excluded because most are, are tuned into what's happening in the space, but. Uh, I think a lot of people don't grasp that it fundamentally changes how humans can coordinate um, the the trustless nature of things, uh, the the transparency, the the immediacy. Um, it really is revolutionary, and I think that we're only beginning to scratch the surface of how powerful that can all be. But the great thing about it is it enables this abundance mindset. It enables a lot of win-win situations that simply weren't possible in the past because there was a requirement of some kind of trusted intermediary. And um, with that, I mean, I think that's embodied by the spirit of the three organizations uh, all joining together here and joining in this fundraiser um, and working to, to collectively raise as much fun, as many funds for longevity research as possible. Um, and the other ways it manifests is uh, the actual composability and modularity of different blockchain protocols. And there's all kinds of ways for organizations to work together. So you know, behind the scenes, uh, Angel Protocol has been talking with VitaDAO and Endowment and uh, working with Keith on, on some interesting concepts. Um, and it's just really powerful to be able to do that and to connect and actually create more good than you could have simply trying to run the race on your own. So um, thank you, everyone. Uh, really, really appreciate you all being here, speaking, participating in this fundraiser. Uh, and we're going to keep this Twitter spaces going. Uh, we want to open it up to uh, to Q and A from the audience. Um, so please, you know, feel free to uh, request to speak. Bring yourself up here. Um, and uh, while we wait for people to join, uh, I'm just going to leave uh, one more question with everyone. Uh, what is the most exciting project that you have encountered in this space? Uh, I'll jump in just to briefly uh, drink my own Kool-Aid <laughs> and say the projects that we've already mentioned here in terms of the, the funding side of things, uh, what we just talked about in terms of longevity research, uh, the Alzheimer's project that I mentioned that, of course, I would say that because I'm working on it directly, which is 
uh, why I believe that uh, for all the reasons that I had mentioned. And if you're curious, anyone out there, you can go to lifespan.io slash mindset uh, to learn more about it, which again is basically uh, structuring the first ever in history, truly decentralized clinical trial to leverage non-pharmacological interventions for Alzheimer's disease, where if everything goes right, the end result could literally be uh, a therapy that is deployable from your laptop, where you contribute data back into the system from your laptop and maybe earn some cryptocurrency for doing that. So it's basically a complete inversion of the current healthcare model, where instead of, or current research model, instead of paying you know, trillions of dollars in taxpayer funds for Alzheimer's therapies that haven't worked, uh, we will pay you money for a preventative Alzheimer's therapy that will work. Um, and one, one extra reason why I feel that this in particular is the most exciting project is not just for what I just said there, but also I believe Alzheimer's occupies kind of a unique place in the spectrum of like aging versus diseases, where it is a discrete disease that people attend to as a disease, but it's also inextricably bound to aging in a way that other diseases like cancer, for example, or not, you know, uh, young people can still get cancer, right? So I feel that Alzheimer's occupies this kind of key place in the Stockholm syndrome that we have with death as a species. Because I've had a lot of conversations where someone might give me the side eye and go, oh, come on, uh, are you really going to work on actual aging? We can't even touch Alzheimer's disease. So if we can take that chess piece off the board, I think it'll just subconsciously show everybody like, oh, we're actually in the game here. And I think that will catalyze a big change. And then in terms of like clinical trials, uh, sometimes there's a perception out there that or government organizations like the NIH or the FDA, or they're somehow against us. They're, they're not out for our, our good. But that hasn't been my experience. When I talk to individual people in the upper echelons of such organizations, the opinion that I always get in relation to projects like this is, oh my God, you have to do this kind of stuff. We want to, but we can't really because we're in this calcified system. But basically, if you go out there and you basically embarrass us with a better model, then the system can change. So that's why that project is the most exciting one to me. Let's spend that IO slash mindset if anyone is curious. I guess I'll kick it over to Maria next. Well, um... Oof, that's a tough question, honestly. It's like it's similar to when people ask you what's your favorite movie and you have so many, but I um uh, I don't know, maybe my answer is not it's not exactly the the answer to that question, but I, what I I wanna highlight that to me the most exciting and air quotes project that I've seen since I started working in the field about twenty years ago is the uh is a partnership with with the blockchain world. Um I think that's and, and I, I understand it's not, I'm not talking about a specific research project. I think there's so much going on in the research. And, and then if I had to choose a project that was not research, I think I would say Lifespan definitely, because Lifespan has made such an enormous difference since they started in, in our field. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that the incorporation of, of the crypto world, the, the, the you know, the crypto meet longevity moment that started happening, I would say back in maybe for us around 2016 and to realize that we had such a big uh, intersection with them in, in the mindset, in, in the disruption of the, the way that we think, the out of the box and the, the power that we are together. 
how we are imagining aging and they are they're you know reinventing money and i think that's what has me more excited how fast things can move with these two um powerful communities joined and working together and in terms of projects and organizations and every single day there's something new happening which didn't happen only a few years ago only three four years ago this space was absolutely different and not even say you know 10 years ago we were still it was still just a bunch of us crazy people thinking about a crazy idea but um but yeah there, there's there's so much happening um of course I'm super excited about our own research. So we have been uh, getting results, tangible results coming out of our research in the past couple of years that I'm super excited about. Um, I can't get into the detail of that. It, it will take long. And also, I wouldn't be the best person to talk about it. But as I said, all our information is on our website. And also, we have a wonderful videos that are created by uh, actually by Lifespan IO and Life Noggin. If you want to check them out, they are coming every week on the seven types of damage. And but our research, our, publica our publications, uh, peer-reviewed publications, we've been doing a lot of that. And there's so much exciting stuff happening. This uh, Finally, the science is moving really fast. And I, I, when I talk about this, I almost feel like I want to cry because I feel so emotional. When I started working on this, it was merely a dream. And now it's a reality. We have an industry. It's not just a, an idea. We we truly have an industry. And with the blockchain community, as I said, I think we're going to make this happen a lot faster. Love and it. If, yeah, please. Let's see. Yeah. So um, I'm most excited about extending healthy human life, not just here on Earth, but even into our future. Um, in deep space. So with our initiatives with NASA um, on the vascular tissue challenge, which is a, a major milestone towards regenerating a, a whole organ someday from a patient's own stem cells to uh, now the deep space food challenge, we're really trying to help pave the way for extending healthy life here and also looking into um, on, a, on a more high level, our future um, as we go beyond living on earth. Um, and then for the animal-free precision medicine, really just making precision medicine concrete and, and, and highly personalized. Um, when I gave a talk at the Longevity Summit in Dublin, I shared the experience of one of my closest friends, Annie, who died of um, stage four breast cancer. And I literally packed my bags and I stayed with her for months until she died. Um, and she experienced very painful clinical trials as a last Hail Mary. But if there was just some way that we could have uh, 3D printed her tissue, tested drugs on that so that she would not have had to have suffered up until she died, I would have given anything for that. And so that's the future that we're hoping to pave the way for and the things that I'm most excited about personally. That was a powerful way to bring that one home. Um, thank you. And yeah, Dane, please. Sure, I'll just go super quick. Um, just to echo everything that everyone said. Um, in addition to that, it's just it's very very nice for me to be able to see the the uh, the maturity uh, of the industry and community at this stage. It's it's changed so much over time. It's actually kind of funny sometimes. Like I, I look back at where it started and 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 how hard it was to to talk to people about you know what was possible. And now you know you have therapies that are going to be coming to market in, in just a few years. Uh, enormous amount of support and, and adoption from uh, 
from pharmaceutical companies, even in the the industries that are uh, you know associated with longevity, at, you know, in these last few years, like crypto. So there's a lot of open mindedness that's that's happening now, and uh, it just makes me feel very very good. It's a, it's a really really exciting time to see this thing come of age. I guess that to be more fair, uh, if I point out to one project that I'm really excited about, I I would mention Cyclarity, which is a company spun out of uh, out of our technologies, and we that happened already several times. I think it's gonna keep happening and faster and faster. <clears throat> companies, startups that happened um, create you know that are created out of our proof of concept work that we do. And Cyclarity is working on heart disease, and they have a fantastic approach to curing heart disease and this is happening really fast so check them out at clarityth.com yeah they're fantastic and let me just add a couple of more there um turn bio is fantastic amazing uh, rna based uh, cellular cellular therapy um x therma it's very very cool they can keep tissues alive for and viable for three or four times longer than they normally can so with enough adoption they could get rid of the uh the organ transplant waiting list. Um, another company that I've been speaking to lately is Nanotics. They have uh, what looks to be a really, really, really incredible uh, system for reducing inflammation and treating cancer. Um, there's really, oh, BioAge just uh, announced that they're going to be going into trials. I mean, really, the the list is going on and on. It's It's really, really fantastic to see. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much for sharing. Um, yeah, so again, uh, if anyone wants to ask any questions uh, for our speakers today, please um, feel free to to invite and uh, come on up here. Um, I know there is someone who wanted to speak, I believe is rejoining from his phone. So uh, before he does that, um, is there? I just want to ask everyone, is there anything uh, that you'd like to add that we haven't um, that we haven't touched on today? Sure. While we're waiting for uh, some questions, I can add one more thing, which is just to uh, underline the kind of uh, synergy that has always existed between the fields of extending healthy human lifespan and blockchain technology. Uh, this goes all the way back to uh, Hal Finney and the early cypherpunks. Uh, Hal Finney, who many believe was most likely uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, if it was one person, uh, all the way through to pioneers of the present like Vitalik Buterin, who have supported. Um, and if I had to hazard a guess <laughs> of why that might be, it might be in this shared human spirit of uh, positively transcending boundaries, be they financial or biological, to try to bring the promise of a brighter tomorrow. So if that out there, any listeners, if that appeals to you, uh, <laughs> find ways to be involved. I think this intersection of these two areas is going to become potentially one of the most important intersections for all humanity. So again, get involved. The pedigree is good. <laughs> if you respect uh, if you respect any blockchain pioneers out there, odds are if you look into their history, you will see that they support this work because they see the value of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's very well put, Keith. I think actually uh, it's pretty much just about everything that's cool in deep tech is actually now growing up and is ready to start happening. So yeah, space, crypto, AI, longevity, all the stuff that was a little difficult to talk about is now uh, kind of an inevitability. So we got to get ready and get excited. Yeah, and as I said, I think to talk about these things with with the crypto community, it seems so much easier for someone like me who's been talking about this for so many years with different communities. And there's there are all these different reasons why we just 
get along really well with these other communities. So these two communities, we have there's something about our mindset that really melts and really goes well together. So uh, it's it it's been really um, it's it's been refreshing to 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 be able to work with with the community with a community that that has that disruptive mentality like as we have and and that are ready to to change the world that are that, that are not scared of big change that are not questioning big change absolutely and uh one just quick note for the audience um you know uh, dane had went through a lot of projects there and i'm sure there's other resources if anyone wants to plug them but one thing that we've been trying to curate on lifespan.io is like a clear roadmap so people can see the various projects and kind of where they are on the the clinical trial pipeline, et cetera. So you can check that out at lifespan.io slash roadmap to help kind of orient your thinking there. Excellent. Um, and I believe we have a question from the audience. Uh, Stephen, please. Yeah, it's um, partly a question and partly not. Uh, the question is, what are you doing uh, politically? I'm, I'm thinking of several fields which are hamstrung by regulations. Uh, for example, um, the easy one to think of is the nuclear power industry. Nuclear reactors, big ones, used to cost $6 billion. Now they're starting to cost $16 billion, and the difference is just regulatory crap. In, um, in medicine, we have a similar sort of thing, which you all may know about. It's called the Kefauver-Harris Amendment, which has been going on since 1962, where the federal government decided that uh, medicines had to be proven efficacious to be approved, whereas before it was simply a safety issue. And ironically, the, the thing that kicked that off was thalidomide, which was a safety issue. Um, and the government fouled up and, and, and uh, very nearly passed thalidomide. It did, it did in Europe and didn't in the U.S. Um, and the because the government had succeeded, uh, everybody was happy with the government and gave it more power, but unfortunately they gave it power over efficacy instead of safety. And since then, we've had a weird phenomena where uh, development of new drugs has not followed Moore's law, but the inverse of it, which is sometimes called Aram's law, uh, is not going up exponentially. It is it is falling every year. And that's not because there aren't all the good drugs have been discovered. It's because we're being killed by the regulatory agencies. It costs more and more and more to do a phase three trial. And if you can do something about that, you can leverage uh, the exploration of these drugs, which would essentially check them for safety as we do now, and then allow a drug to be used off label from the very beginning, not just after it's proven for one single use. And that doesn't seem to be too unsafe to me. Uh, once it's gone through safety trials, um, a one off-label use is, to me, the same as another, if you understand my meaning. And if you just get rid of that amendment, that would bring us back to an FDA which is concerned with safety uh, and doesn't mind off-label uses even from the beginning. Right, yeah, I, I can jump in first, and that was a really good question. Um, as mentioned earlier, um, some steps are lining up now to build up organizations that can more directly engage in these uh tactics uh, compared to a 501c3. So as mentioned, there's the Alliance uh, for Longevity Initiatives, the AFRLI, that's a 501c4. There's also an emerging uh, health span action coalition that's working on trying to build up a, a consortium of patient advocacy groups. That's kind of like, you know, the, the infrastructure that's being built. But to your point, yeah, there's, there's a lot of 
you know, what would be the endpoints for those policy initiatives, right? And they're along the lines of what you're saying, right? You know, other countries like Japan have a model where, to your point, uh, drugs can get into the public after safety has been um, proven, but not necessarily efficacy for the indication, right? So maybe there's a, a potential to move to that kind of model. Obviously, there's not just trying to increase funding, but it's also where that funding is going to go, right? As an example, I forget what the number is, but let's say at least $5 billion, maybe $10 billion is going to end-stage cancer uh, work through the National Cancer Institute. But the subdivision of the NIH, the NIA, and the subdivision of the NIA that is actually working on like the root causes of aging, including genetic instability, which would solve all cancers or most cancers, <laughs> uh, is only getting like $200 million in funding, right? So there's also a funding priority issue there. Uh, and then another end point uh, that would be very good if we can achieve it is there's still some confusion or lack of consensus over finding a proxy that government institutions would accept as quote unquote aging reversal. One that's being talked about right now is this idea of deficit accumulation indices, right? You know, a deficit might be loss of visual acuity, walking gait disruption, et cetera, where in this case, if you had 30 of those, you underwent a trial and then you had 20 of those, that would be quote unquote age re reversal and be a proxy for aging. So anyway, I'm not really clearly answering your question because the real answer is there's a lot of different things that need to be done to accelerate the field at like a policy level. And those organizations that I mentioned are starting to formulate kind of the battle plans to uh, affect those changes. But if you want to get involved in that, by all means, look up the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives. Thank you. Yes, thank you, um, Keith. And we are happy to announce that we just partnered with them to, um, to help them accelerate their work that is wonderful and very promising. And I think the, uh, this movement, revolution, change, whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> has so many aspects to it. And what Steve, what you just mentioned is one of them that is very, very important. And we're going to have to work on all of them in parallel. Um, thankfully, there are going to be organizations that are going to focus on the, on the different aspects. You know, we're focusing on, on the research and we're focusing on, or lifespan is, is focusing also on changing the the uh, the perception of what we're doing and making sure people understand this is a good thing. Metusola is also uh, focusing on the research and making sure we advance the research. And then there are organizations like the A4LI that are going to be helping from the from the government side. Um, we definitely have to work with the governments and with the regulatory systems because what we're trying to do here is to make sure these therapies are available for everyone. This is not about you know a few people doing biohacking or something like that are which i also i'm not saying i'm against it because i'm a biohacker myself but uh i'm saying basically that this has to change the whole paradigm of the health healthcare system and and aging so it will definitely need changes from 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 the government from the from the regulatory system and that's um it's going to also take time but like I think he said before, or Flo, I'm not sure someone said, this is not going to happen overnight. So I think organically, all of this will happen together in the right way and at the right time. And yes, one thing that concerns me about this particular aspect is that I, I'm really close to the research and I see how fast the research is moving. And as we know, science and technology move exponentially and, and this fast pace that it's moving at, it's accelerating. And 
cures are really happening in labs. Like there, there are already cures that are are ready, but are not ready in the regulatory sense. And that's something that yes, it concerns me, and it makes me sad to see that um, we could be saving people's lives and 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 saving people from so much suffering and 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 death, but these systems also need to do, you know, sort of an upgrade on the way they work if they're if they're involved with with approving science and technology that is moving faster and faster every day. And I don't think they are moving as fast as as, as we are with the with the advancements that are happening. Yeah, and if I could just jump in real quick, I um I think speaking to both that and what Keith mentioned earlier about deficits, something that um that we're really interested in doing um or you know just contributing to or uh, is is better establishment of biomarkers um, that are uh, biomarkers of aging, right? So uh, I'll go again super fast. Um, so these are these are biomarkers that are both available uh, on the omic level. So it's genomics and proteomics and all that good stuff. This is something that's particularly uh, important for when you're doing drug discovery or when you're in academia. And then there's the biomarkers that are available for for clinicians and for people who can self-administer. So that's what Keith was talking about, deficits, right? So this is something that is tied to whether it's grip strength or gait length or these things that are, you know, that seem like very prosaic, what the the kind of output, right? These are the the down the extreme downstream effects of what happens when you age. Um, but the two of those things really need to be married so that you can actually, you can correlate what might be more effective in terms of drug discovery with what those downstream effects are, which is what a clinician is going to observe and what's going to, that's the process that they're going to use in order to actually prescribe something. So in order for the regulatory bodies to get on board, they have to understand how all these things are actually tied into uh, a system uh, that's established. And so, um, yeah, we need better standards. The, uh, the, the industry is at a point where we actually need to get together and decide exactly what these standards are have better processes for validating all of this stuff um, and scalable kind of scalable decision making. So the analogy that I and, and some other people use is it's uh, it's almost like we're at the stage of internet protocol standards needing to be set up. This is this is no longer the time for individual you know university networks and DARPAnet and stuff like that. It's time actually for everybody to go. Okay, cool. We're grown up enough. Now we need to figure out how to uh, connect our computers. You know, do a not just a halo land party, but we have to uh, we have to play with people all over the world. We need to create these standards. You would mention Halo, Dane. It's a good game still. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, um, if uh, any uh, other uh, participants want to hop in here to uh, to speak or request, um, you know, we can invite you up. But I uh, just want to do one more final call to action here. Um, we do have an ongoing longevity fundraiser running, uh, benefiting all three amazing organizations on the call. Uh, Lifespan, the Methuselah Foundation, um, the, the SENS Foundation, and Church Foundation. And um, yes, uh, please go donate. Uh, there's also free ways to support the cause. Um, so I pinned another tweet here that has uh, Twitter banners you can set, uh, Discord server profiles, um, Instagram uh, images, uh, and website placement images. So uh, anyone who would like to help support and champion the cause, uh, I think we have a really, um, a really incredible opportunity to show what this space can accomplish for uh, one of the most important causes facing facing our lifetimes.
Uh, no pun intended there. Um, but uh, Jason, you've been uh, waiting to speak, so I'm glad we we're able to get you back up on stage here, man. Um, uh, please go ahead. Oh, sure. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks everyone. Very, uh, very well said uh, across the board. And um, you know, kind of thinking back to some of the misconceptions uh, that uh, were, were alluded to dur during the talk. Um, you know, and I, and I think, uh, you know, everyone can kind of see everyone's sort of centered around this, this common theme. And I think we understand that there is, there is this moral obligation, uh, to pursue these technologies. Uh, you know, if you go into a nursing home, you know, you can really see it, uh, firsthand. And I think that, you know, the, one of the misconceptions in the U S in particular, the U S government is like they were able to deploy therapeutics fairly quickly when when covid was was really spiking and and you know when you actually dug dug deep into those numbers you know it was it was bad you know obviously it was extremely bad um but when you compare you know numbers to numbers like the deaths from aging is actually so substantially more um you know we're talking about hundreds of thousands per day uh, versus in COVID, it was actually way, way much less. So, you know, I think there's some kind of perception shift that has happened in the government. I think that they don't really necessarily uh, aren't aren't necessarily adding up all the all the numbers correctly. Um, you know, if they could if they could understand that, you know, the the Moderna vaccine was actually designed uh, within a matter of days. It just took many many months to deploy that, but they were able to deploy it and. Of course, the big pharmaceutical companies were, were you know, they, they benefited substantially, which, you know, was, was expected. Um, but really that perception shift is, is what's, what's needed. And, you know, not, not only across like the, just the numbers of deaths we're seeing, but the economic benefit. And I think a few people alluded to this, uh, you know, this guy, Andrew J. Scott, wrote this paper uh, essentially showing um, you know, $38 trillion of benefit just for one year of slowing down or reversing the aging process. And, you know, that means less strain on the healthcare system. People are working harder and also stronger. Um, and the social security system, you know, what we're seeing is, is they're, they're effectively running out of money now. And, you know, if, if we continue down the normal route, we're going to have a lot of uh, baby boomers who are retired and collecting, and it's going to put a lot of stress and strain on the on the younger community to perform and, and to continue to work. Um, so I think that it's, it's definitely a necessity. And I think it's a necessity to alter the perception of not just the U S government, but all, all governments kind of, all of them kind of coming together and, and with the realization that, you know, we do need a project warp speed. We do need, you know, the Manhattan project type thing. Uh, Cause they, at the end of the day, they have the resources, they have the capital, and, you know, Big Pharma has the infrastructure to actually deploy these things. It just comes down to them actually being incentivized and, uh, you know, to, to actually do that. So, um, you know, I think those are the two, two main things. And, you know, I, I, I truly think that, you know, when you, when you look at what's happening, I mean, our society, we just have a moral obligation to pursue this faster. And, you know, when we're seeing these things, too, uh, regarding like aging, and I know there's a lot of studies that hap that are happening, you know, lifespan, but I think that, you know, lifespan studies with, with animals, but I think, you know, we can actually measure, you know, age reversal now. Like we're seeing it in labs, even in the Sinclair lab, where they've effectively shown like that you can bring some, bring someone back. And so I think, you know, when we expand on that, we expand on actually reversing the aging process, measuring it, 
deciphering it and then reverting it back. I think that's actually the direction um, that these large organizations should be going. So um, thanks. And uh, just to piggyback off of uh, what was just said, you know, one key thing I want to highlight is the effectiveness and potential that collaboration has, especially within this industry. And, you know, this Twitter space is an example of an amazing uh, collaboration between four incredible organizations. And we were able to do this in actually quite a short amount of time and still have a massive impact. Um, but that impact will be amplified by everyone here actually talking about longevity and the challenges and the opportunities associated with it. So a big thank you again for everyone working together on this and pushing this for the betterment of all of humanity and our future. Um, and also, you know, being able to expedite a challenging process. And thank you to everyone who joined and for uh, the future opportunities that you will create for yourselves and for all of us as a, as a species. I'm going to kick it back to Keith to close us out. <laughs> okay, great. And uh, before that, I just want to also quickly piggyback of what uh, Jason was saying by by just noting that I think a narrative that we should develop as a community uh, related to what you're saying about COVID is that much more is surely an age-related disease than we've been calling it so far. So what I would say is that a large percentage of the deaths due to COVID are deaths due to age-related disease. And it's really, again, all the same thing. So I think that's that's a narrative that, that, that we can develop and, and really show how important this is, not just in the ways that people might think. But <laughs> to, to, to pick it up from what Stephanie was saying, uh, you know, again, I just want to call back to uh, what I had mentioned at the top of this call, the, the Epic of Gilgamesh, <laughs> you know, literally the first great work, you know, we have on stone tablets of humanity is all about this, is about a, a king seeing his his best friend die and just being shocked by the horror of it uh, of of diseases and going on a quest uh, which for him was hopeless back then because he didn't have the tools but we may have those tools now so i want to inspire you this is my this is the the call to the hero's journey that i'm trying to make you make to you now you right now get to carry the torch you yourself might actually finish the first hero's journey you just by talking to somebody at the dinner table by tweeting this call right here to some crypto philanthropy kol out there who wants to hear this already you can make a massive difference so now's the time to get out there and tell people about this important cause you might be the person that saves a thousand lives just by talking to someone so you can be a hero that's my call to action to you so well said absolutely That is beautiful, Keith. And I agree with Jason that one of the problems is that there's no sense of, of urgency with with aging. And I speak about this in several talks that I've been giving in the past couple of years since COVID started and comparing and taking a look at what we've done with because of COVID and we mobilized, we turned the world upside down to to stop this thing that was making us sick and killing us. And we do all of that, but we don't realize that we are already very sick and that something is already killing us and making us suffer so much. So it's, yeah, that's why the work that Life and I owe is so important to and, and campaigns like Angel Protocol is creating with us now because changing the narrative, creating awareness about this 
is huge because we could make this happen so, so much faster that we don't even know. But it, really, if we achieve what we achieved with COVID and with the vaccine and with the antivirals and everything that we created so fast, we are extremely advanced with the science. We know a lot right now. I think we, we I'm more concerned about the world supporting this change than the actual science. So yes, um, thank you, Keith, and, and thank you, everyone. Thank you, Angel Protocol. Thank you, Methuselah Foundation. You're all very dear to us, and we are excited, excited. I can't tell you how much about working together and seeing uh, wonderful results out of this incredible campaign. Thank you. Incredible. Wow. Thank you all so much. Uh, very, very well said. Um, you know, Angel Protocol is beyond honored to to be able to help facilitate this initiative in partnership with Lifespan.io, uh, the Methuselah Foundation, uh, the Sens Research Foundation. The work you're doing is just absolutely incredible. Um, thank you, everyone, very, very much for tuning in. Uh, one more time, you know, go to longevity.angelprotocol.io to donate. Uh, Please set your Twitter banners uh, featured on your website. Go talk to friends and family. Um, let's see what we can uh, raise here for an amazing cause. And again, $10,000 in matching funds uh, doubles the impact that you're having. Uh, and those funds will be invested for long-term sustainable growth uh, through Angel Protocols Endowments, um, all non-custodially owned by the organizations themselves. Because as we all know, not your keys, not your coins. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, very much for tuning in. And, um, and take care of each other out there. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate Thank it. you. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was Angel Protocol, Longevity, and Healthy Aging. Recorded on Tuesday, December 20th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support. Now, with Spark IBC enabled. They say rapping is the gateway, bringing home great pay. Checking that replay, sing along and we say nobody gives a fuck around my way. I make about three bucks for every thousand plays, so add it up and do the math on that. Financially speaking, why the fuck would anybody want to rap? But in this reality, the money comes from doing shows. But then where's the money go when you can't do the shows? I guess you could rap on Cameo. I've been asking all my friends if I can rap on the patio. Six feet, motherfucker, step the fuck back. Doing a little magic, pulling rabbits out the rucksack Not everybody's always in it for the money Looking like another crooked Sunday and I'm working Monday So you know I ain't stressing, left debating great methods Amazed to play Inception, the base stay blessed See, even with these huge sums of overall royalties These sums of money that go to the record label per playback Can seem insultingly small Many rights holders are making around three quarters of a cent Each time someone listens to one of their tracks Leaving only some portion of that for the actual artists. They can say they're making they can say they're pennies, making pennies per play. Until they can figure out how to turn a profit, their future will always be in question. But, for now, investors see enough potential to continue to fund pennies, 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 pennies per play. Another day, another lesson. Living in the eighth dimension might be worth a little mention. Living in the Great Depression. Got a real regal feel. Reeling in another sucker fish. Out to make a deal just to make a motherfucker wish. Aw, shit. Now you only got two left. You know what I wish? We didn't have any loose ends. You know what I miss? Listening to excuses Now we're on the fence Like we forgot how to choose That's what happens When people don't know what's true In the dark
dark eating bullshit up like a mushroom In the lunchroom just trying to laugh it off Meanwhile foaming at the mouth like a rabid dog Like a fake mate and call at the zoo It's looking like the view is getting disappointed too I'm working on the new shit, trying to produce it It's what I'm willing to go through when I'm making my music Ten spaces.